Welcome to Brain Pain, where we discuss everything psychology. As always, I need to start off by saying I am not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I, uh, I'm just a guy with a master's degree in psychology who's working on his PsyD. Today, I want to talk a little bit about self-medication and drug interaction. I found some pretty interesting reading and I thought I'd like to share it because I think there's a lot of people who may not be aware of things that are happening that could be, I don't want to say self-sabotage, but you may not be getting the most out of any therapy you're getting if you're having these drug interactions. So one of the there's a paper that I am going to cite during this, which lists a great number of drug interactions. And that is a drug by Lindsay Stewart and Childress. It's called Drug Interactions Between Common Illicit Drugs and Prescription Therapies. So when I went through this, at first I I was confused why alcohol wasn't listed here, but it's because it is based on what are considered illicit drugs federally that includes marijuana. And there's some interesting things that people didn't talk about during the uh, during all the voting to make marijuana legal in states. And the truth is it's Just like with alcohol, you have to kind of make your own decisions. But I think that, like with alcohol, people should have more information before they decide to partake. So I went to another article to look at the drug interactions with alcohol. I found some very interesting things there. But let's talk about self-medication, just as a general thing first. I think that Self-medication often happens because people don't realize they're medicating themselves. They don't realize they're using it to try and cope with a problem. This can go into coping strategies, which there's a separate podcast on coping strategies specifically, which I don't really go into self-medication But self-medication is often a form of avoidance. Just so you know, if you listen to that podcast and you've listened to this podcast, then you'll know that this falls into avoidance behavior for most people. We have a trauma. We have a stress. We have anxiety. I just need a, a drink to take the edge off. I just need a joint to take the edge off. Oh, I just need a fill in the blank. Now, when we talk about self-medication, a lot of people um, have found some success with specific forms of, uh, they're called homeopathic. I don't, I think there's enough science for them to be considered legitimate pharmacology. However, like St. John's wort is one that I 
have read a lot about that there's been a lot of positive uh, outcomes from. Both anecdotally and scientifically, I have found this to be the case. St. John's wort in Germany can be prescribed. Uh, cannot be prescribed in the United States. It's not controlled. And the problem in the United States often with any supplement or thing that's called a supplement is that the quality control is often questionable and the dose inaccuracies, that ties into the quality, but you don't always know that what dose you're actually getting of that supplement, which is why this is one of those things that might benefit from actual scientific study or even just looking to see what Germany's doing. St. John's wort is used for uh, emotion regulation. It helps, like um, similar to serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are called SSRIs and are used for depression, and SNRIs. There's a number of interactions in the brain that this helps regulate. And basically what it does is it allows the brain to maintain higher levels of serotonin without reabsorbing them as a general concept so that you can feel, so that you can feel more stable. So because you're not having the ups and downs that might be uh, causing depressive disorders and other negative uh, emotional states. So St. John's wort is a example that people use for self-medication that typically uh, can have very positive outcomes. Now, the other drugs that are covered or that I'm going to cover today, uh, I just, I'm not going to cover all of them that they have listed in this paper by uh, Lindsay Stewart and Childress, but I do want to couple of cover cover a couple and one I, I cocaine right so cocaine one of the common problems is uh, basically there's a whole bunch of things like chest pains and other symptoms but the adverse effects we all know it's basically an upper it can cause a lot of um, blood pressure and and heart issues, long-term use. But for interactions, it's really kind of crazy because if you look at, um, I'm going to use terms like SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, MAOIs. Okay. So I'm going to use these different class of drugs, which are easy to look up. Um, they're mostly antidepressants and they operate in different ways, but SSRIs, MAOIs, um, and uh, I may talk about SNRIs, but anyway. Cocaine, when combined with a number of these drugs, just about everything, causes hypertensive crisis, which basically means stroke or heart attack. Um, they, there's no real surprise there. Um, 
even without taking another drug, if you're taking cocaine or you're using cocaine, that I can't see how anyone's surprised at that. Um, heroin, of course. Now, central nervous system depression, meaning that's not a depressive emotion. That means your central nervous system is depressed and it causes like a sedation. Uh, can cause you to stop breathing is what it comes down to. Cause your body to stop functioning. If you're combining that with MAOIs or other other drugs in general. Everything that I'm looking at is sedation, respiratory depression, or um, central nervous system depression. So heroin, like cocaine, has the exact... Uh, interactions that you might expect with any other, you know, prescribed drug. Now, cannabis is, has some interesting um, reactions. Cannabis used while taking SSRs can result in mania. And that could be, uh, that's not what I would expect from um, anybody using, you know, cannabis. You typically expect sedation, not mania. Um, With lithium, it actually causes lithium uh, concentration to increase, which can cause it's it's like basically increasing the dose of lithium without meaning to, which can have very uh, bad effects because the lithium, the dose you need for lithium to actually be effective in the human brain is just short of being toxic. So while lithium work, can work very well, the range where it actually has its effect is very narrow before it becomes toxic. So if you're put on lithium and then you start using cannabis or marijuana, you could kill yourself. Um, which I found kind of surprising. I never would have guessed anything like that just from uh, general knowledge. Right, it's not something you'd think of. It could be quite dangerous. Now, when I look at alcohol, what I found most interesting is there's an article by I don't know how to pronounce. I think it's Menkes. It's Menkes and okay, so I'm just going to spell the names M E N K E S. And H E R X H E I M E R. Herxheimer? Herxheimer, maybe? The thing that surprised me is that alcohol mixed with an SSRI can have pretty crazy reactions. Um, when they reviewed the Mix, the mixture of people who were on SSRIs and had used alcohol, they actually had to look at where it had already happened. 
So there's some, there's some problems with that from a research aspect because you can't do a blind study. You're not going to take a bunch of people, have them get drunk and give them SSRIs or have them taking SSRIs and get them drunk. That's uh, an immoral action because you're putting them in, in harm's way. You're, you're putting them in danger directly. So all you can do at that point is find enough cases where something like this has happened and see what the results were. So the pathological intoxication, so there's 201 reports. Let's start there. So out of that, 100 of them um, showed what's pathological intoxication, uh, which is characterized by unexpected and often gross inhibition, which means they have no inhibitions. Out of that 100, memory impairment was pretty common, 53 out of 100, which is, you know, 53%. Now, here's where it gets really strange. Outcomes including serious violence um, occurred in eight cases. And in those eight cases, those were homicides. So somewhere around 4% of the people who mixed alcohol and SSRIs went out and killed somebody. So out of those eight cases, there were 12 deaths, which I believe, let me make sure I look at the article. There were two double and one triple homicide. So homicide, just so you were clear, is not an accidental death. That is going and killing someone. Mixing an SSRI and alcohol really bad, really, really bad. Uh, out of all the alcohol stuff, I, I mean, we see, we saw a lot of the same stuff that you would expect to see with other drugs, uh, resulting in basically alcohol as a depressant. Um, but this really struck me is that mixing alcohol with SSRIs can result in such, you know, 4% with committing homicide. Really kind of surprised me, and uh, but it, it goes to my bigger point. That if so, if you're using cannabis, heroin, cocaine, any illicit, any illicit drug, and you're seeking help, which I highly encourage, you really need to be honest. Really need to be honest with your prescriber, be that a medical doctor or a psychiatrist, depending on your state, or even a psychologist in some states. They need to know what's actually going on in your body. Now, there's another uh, there's another over-the-counter medication, drug, whatever you want to call it, that you can access that has actually helped with SSRIs and I believe SNRIs, antidepressants. And it is called SAM-E, and it's capital S, capital A, capital M, dash E. I was in a U.S., one of the chain drugstores in the United States, and I just happened to look for it to see if it was there, see if they carried it. And it was with all the vitamins and, uh, and supplements section. It's expensive. And as I recall, it's expensive because it's difficult to make the concentrations accurate. Uh, which tells you that alone. But anyway, it amplifies the effects of uh, some 
SSRIs, SNRIs, if I recall properly. And that, in turn, uh, does so in a way that it's not like an overdose. It just helps that be more functional. And there's a theory about how it opens the brain's capacity to interact with within itself. So the different sections of the brain operating uh, more efficiently. However, even if you're going to do that, you really should discuss that with a provider, health provider first. Whoever's prescribing uh, medication for whatever you're dealing with should be aware of that. Now, these are just uh, drugs that are used, medications that are used for mental health. And that's because, you know, brain pain, psychology, we're, we're focused on that. The results of self-medication can also have unintended, unintended consequences. Self-medication can have negative consequences. So we talked about cannabis, marijuana, uh, working with um, self-medication. The there's a study, and again, it was out of it was out of Scandinavia, and they did a study on specifically early onset marijuana use. Now, what I didn't see in this article was an actual age where they considered it early onset. A couple of things they do talk about in it is that there are more males than females in the study, and that was not gender, they didn't specifically try to get an even number of gender. So, um, oh yeah, they did break it down. So there's an article out of Scandinavia that talks about depression and marijuana use and early onset marijuana use. So early use of marijuana, according to this study, can cause a lot of problems with brain development. The research cites some research that was done in the United States and as well as other places, but it shows that there's a relationship between marijuana use and mental illnesses. Uh, the problem with that is they can't tell with a lot of studies in the U.S. if the marijuana use caused the mental illness or as a result of the Ill- mental illness. But there is growing evidence that um, early use of marijuana uh, is associated with the development of schizophrenia and mood disorders, specifically in the age range where they're most likely to start using marijuana, uh, which is in the teens, right? So they did a study of 1,265 children that use marijuana while the brain's still developing and under the age of 21. Uh, And what they found is that compared to the general population, um, there is a significant difference between a Basically, educational achievement and income, um, welfare dependence, and relationship satisfaction, life satisfaction, cognitive impairment, 
And I think this is important for people to realize as we in the United States start to make marijuana legal for use is that early use um, has, has shown there can be some fallout. I go, I go to back to the same thing with alcohol. There is a lot of evidence that shows that early use of alcohol, especially in extreme amounts, is very detrimental to youth and brain development, etc. And we, we shouldn't be surprised. Politically and socially, a lot of people don't want to hear that. But the reality is that the people who are most likely to abuse either alcohol or marijuana use it in a manner that is, uh, let's call it extreme. They're the ones that, whose brains are not fully developed. I've said before, the average age that's accepted is typically is brain being fully developed is 25. That means, obviously, that some are at 20, some are at 30. But... The abuse of these things, especially early on, is even more destructive. One of the most common outcomes of early use of marijuana is linked to is major depressive disorder. Now, this makes sense because the same reason that uh, using marijuana can make an SSRI less effective is the same thing that can cause depression, which is the fact that it deals with um, serotonin, serotonin levels, and just adjusting those artificially in the brain. Now, obviously, we do it to medicate, but again, we go back to self-medication. So it's one of those things that I think people should just be aware of. Now, having said all that, what does that mean? Well, I personally, as I get older, start to look at things and say, you know... There's a lot of theories, there's a lot of science, and then there's also the anecdotal stuff that we have to live. So whether or not you're using alcohol or marijuana or legal or not on those two items, I would say, you know, check yourself. Make sure you're not doing yourself some harm. So if you're using cocaine, heroin, something like that, I would highly encourage you to stop and seek help to stop. And if you're self-medicating, I would encourage you to seek help to find out what's going on, help you uh, deal with whatever the root issues are that are causing you to feel a need to self-medicate. But as always, remember that I love you. Take care of yourself.